is Fuck This Chicken. Welcome to Creative Ass Podcast. First Creative Ass Podcast of the new year, of the new decade. Welcome to 2020, motherfuckers. We made it. I'm going to kick it off, actually, with a meme I read. Shout out to my 80s babies that said, if you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s and made it to 2020, you have lived in four different decades, two different centuries, two different millennia, and we ain't even 40 yet. It means we got so much time left to do, so much time left to create. Let's get this motherfucking party started. All right, starting straight up with uh, last thing I listened to, last thing I watched, and last thing I read. So the last thing I listened to, uh, it looked like we weren't going to get a whole lot of new music out from any bigger artists before the year closed out. Uh, you know, Rihanna trolled us all on Instagram. Says have been posting thirst traps and ain't posted nothing music related, but my God alive, she looks fantastic. <laughs> we didn't get that album we thought we might get from Drake. Um, we got some some dope last minute occurrences from uh, from Cameron, uh, from Fabulous, from different people. Um, but an album I didn't hear a lot of buzz about, but that I just kind of landed on, <laughs> weirdly enough, just yesterday, just kind of meandering through Instagram and somehow on the Explore page, I, uh, I got tossed to um, Stormzy's page, Stormzy the grime artist, the, the rapper from the UK, and he just put out an album recently, I want to say it came out on last week, and it is called Heavy as the Head, it is really fucking good, like I cannot stop listening to this shit, I've never been a Stormzy fan, never listened to any, you know, grime really seriously except for that moment it kind of got popular um around the uh the more life playlist that drake put out because he had a lot of grime artists on there but i mean other than that stormzy is really one of the few grime artists i even know of but this heavy as the head album is really really good like it's uh it is 16 tracks so it's classic old school cd length 16 tracks 16 good tracks all the songs are a good length um, one of my favorite songs on the album is a song called One Second featuring her. And uh, it's, it's you know, he's essentially saying, can I, can I get a second of your time to just talk about what's going on in my life and, and, and get it off my chest? That's one of my favorite uh, songs on the album. There's a track on there called Rachel's Little Brother. Bro, that shit, that might be my favorite track on the whole album. Like that album, that, that track is really, really dope. Um, you know, he's not a new artist. He's a very well-known artist. So me talking about how great his wordplay is and, and the fact that he can actually kind of sing a little bit as well. And then they've got different slang over there and his accent is really cool. So it's really pleasing to the ear. Just something different if you're not somebody who's listened to Grime ever before like me. Um, and this album is phenomenal. Like I, I really enjoy it. They're, out of all 16 tracks, I can say I like, I really like Rainfall. I really like Rachel's Little Brother. I like Do Better. I like One Second. I like Pop Boy. And I like Wiley Flow. And I love superheroes. That is what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven tracks out of a 16 track album that I love. And I don't dislike any of them. It, it, it passes with flying colors, the no skip test. You can literally put it on. You're going to get, you know, obviously it's grime, so you're going to get hip-hop vibes. It's from the UK, so you're going to get uh, Afro beats and West Indian and Caribbean vibes. 
Um, you're gonna, like I said, get really cool slang. Like I listened to this album for like a day straight and swear it was like trying to figure out how to incorporate bruv into my vocabulary because this shit just sounds so hard. Um, because they have different slang over there and because he, you know, has that accent, different words rhyme together as opposed to, you know, if I said them or even if somebody, you know, from just anywhere in uh, America or the state said them, um, they, they, they don't, wouldn't rhyme because our accent doesn't allow for that. Or we don't have words that mean the same thing that he's using them as, you know, in order to set up the, the rhyme scheme. So it's really interesting, you know, to listen to somebody who, you know, raps in a different dialect, still rap and, uh, and still rhyme. And then also have a, you know, a pleasing voice. Like I said, he can, can kind of carry a tune and sing as well. And then he's got some really dope features on here. Um, not too many though. It's not feature heavy. And then a lot of the features that are on here, I'm assuming are probably other UK artists that I do not know and have never heard of. Uh, Tiana Major Nine is on here, which is the chick from the um, Earth Gang song that I love, the Collide joint on the Queen and Slim soundtrack. She's on here. Like I said, hers on here. There's a track on here with Ed Sheeran on here. But other than that, I think that's the only, yeah, that's those are the only tracks with any artists that I recognize featured. Other than that, I've never heard of Hetty One. I've uh, never heard of, I think it's Aich, Aich, A-I-T-C-H, I believe. Yeah, not sure how to pronounce that, but yeah, never heard of them, but phenomenal album. If you have time, go check it out. Um, yeah, really, really good album. Last thing I listened to, and uh, it did not disappoint. I've been I've been jamming it for 48 hours straight, and I really, really enjoy it. So go check out that uh, Heavy is the Head album from Stormzy just came out. I believe the last week in December, and uh, I really enjoyed it. That is definitely the last thing I listened to. Uh, last thing I watched, I for uh, White Santa, I believe that's what it's called, White Elephant, Secret Santa. I don't know. One of those games <laughs> we played at, no, it was Secret Santa. Yeah, it was Secret Santa, because I don't play that fucking White Elephant game. I don't play that shit. That's a dumbass game. So I get a present in the beginning of the game that I really, really like, and I really, really fuck with, and then at some point during the game, somebody used to just take it from me, and I maybe get it back? Nah, fuck that. Nah, I don't play White Elephant. So yeah, it definitely was not White Elephant because I played that game one time at a party and was like, I'm never doing this again. Because I think the prize was like an iPod or something. And by the time it came back around to me, or it was something dope. It was like an expensive gift. And by the time it came back around to me, I think I wound up with like a fucking blender or some shit. And I was like, man, hell nah. Never playing this fucking game again. It's just a setup for the wet up. Like, a nigga's just going to get frustrated and angry, and God forbid you're playing it somewhere where alcohol is being consumed, which I was drunk. I was upset. I was like, I'm never playing this fucking game again. Super sore loser. So, yeah. Was not White Elephant, because I don't do White Elephant. It was Secret Santa. And uh, in my Secret Santa, it was dope. We gave, like, three suggestions, all under, like, I think $20 or $15. And uh, mine, mine were all different variations of gift card. Visa gift card, just put the $15 on there for gas. Um... I think I said, I want to say, I know I said somewhere food related. I want to say maybe Whataburger. And then the other one I said was um, Alamo Drafthouse movie card, like gift card. Or just the Visa gift card and I'll buy my own movie ticket. And uh, yeah, they, that's what somebody got me. They got me an Alamo Drafthouse uh, movie gift card. And actually, I think we're supposed to have like a $15 limit. And uh, the person who got it for me put $25 on there. 
And she was like, yeah, I figured you want to take somebody else too. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet of you. You could have just put the 15 on there because I'm definitely going to use this to go see two movies by myself. <laughs> I have no, no plans on spending this. This is one of the few Christmas gifts I got. I definitely have no intention of spending this on anybody but myself. So, uh, so the first movie I went to go see with that ticket uh, with that uh, gift card I got from work for the uh, the Secret Santa was the Uncut Gems movie with uh, Adam Sandler in it. I was really excited to see it. Um, A24 has been fucking kill. I don't know if it's A24 or A24, but either way, they've been fucking killing it this year. Um, from Native Son to Waves to Euphoria to Uncut Gems. Um, I think it came out in 2018, but I watched it this year. Um, the Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's like an indie slash almost it's like a big budget indie company they like do projects that are the stars celebrities and big names but they don't have the biggest budgets now i can't necessarily speak to tv wise as far as like euphoria because based on just like the cinematography and shit of that movie alone and the fact that it's on hbo it looks like it probably had a decent sized budget but i mean it is a whole lot of newer actors even with Zendaya, she's a really popular name. She's been around for a while because of Disney, but she hasn't been in a lot since she's been an adult. So a lot of this is a lot of people's first, second, first really big things they've done since being child actors or being younger or being in other stuff. Um, and, um, you know, even for some of them, it's their first acting, you know, at all, like Hunter Schaefer's character. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I, don't, I can't speak to how much money they've, they spend TV-wise, but I know movies, most of the movies they make, like I said, um, Last Black Man in San Francisco, Waves, it's a lot of indie movies with larger budgets from what I can tell. And I'm a fan of most of the things I've seen. I still haven't seen Waves yet, but it looks like something's going to be right up my alley. I like Alexa Deme from um, Euphoria. Big fan of Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us. So um, a lot of people that are uh, in that movie I want to see, but... Um, Uncut Gems is the newest release from uh, A24 starring uh, Adam Sandler and Lakeith Stanfield from Atlanta um, who else was in it that kind of was like a noteworthy name I want to say they really they really share a big portion of their screen time like they really share a big portion of the the time that's on screen uh, with the exception of Kevin Garnett who has a very large role in the movie but he's playing himself so, I mean, he's acting but because it's kind of him having to throw back to uh, playing himself in the playoffs at a past date from when this movie was actually shot. So, you know, he's, he's still playing himself, but, you know, he's still acting in certain scenes. And in others, you know, in others, he is having to recollect and kind of relive moments because even though he's playing himself, he's not playing, you know, Kevin Garnett now. He's playing Kevin Garnett actively, you know, on the Boston Celtics basketball team. Uh, so it's really interesting to see uh, that aspect of it, see him play himself, but in a past time. And um, it's a really interesting movie in general. It's, uh, it's about a um, jewelry store owner, a jeweler, who, uh, spoiler, if you haven't seen the movie yet, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. But it's about a, um, it's about a jeweler uh, in Manhattan who uh, is a gambler. And he, um, he finds this really precious stone, um, uh, and it introduces the concept and the idea of black Jews. So it's really interesting. I think that was one of the more interesting parts of the movies that I actually wish they would have delved into a bit, a bit more. Um, but it is a, uh, I want to say it was a black opal mined in an area that only really, um, 
is known for red opals. And apparently red opals are not that expensive. But black opals, at least to him, at least what he thought, and at least as, as a huge part of the storyline of the movie, black opals are really rare and really, really expensive. And um, so he, uh, he you know, makes all these calls and gets one of these black opals all the way from uh, where it's being mined, I want to say in like Africa, where these black Jews are. And uh, Kevin Garnett's character, Kevin Garnett, is brought into the store by Lakeith Stanfield's character, who's kind of like, you know, just one of his songboys, one of his lackeys, one of the guys in his entourage. And what Lakeith does for Adam Sandler's character is he brings a lot of clientele such as, you know, Kevin Garnett, people like that, rappers and stuff. His job is to bring them, direct them towards Adam Sandler's store. And he gets a commission for every person who actually comes in and buys something. And so when Kevin Garnett's character comes in, Kevin Garnett comes in, (laughs) he has a game coming up and he's thinking about getting something. And right when he's looking around at everything, um, Adam Sandler gets a package and it's this black opal. And so he tells him the story about where the black opal comes from, about the black Jews. And um, it's beautiful. Kevin Garnett's looking at it. It's all these colors bouncing off of it. And he's obsessed with it. And he wants to buy it. And Adam Sandler's character has plans to put it up for auction, to start a bidding war for it. And so, um, you know, he can't sell it to him. But Kevin Garnett is just obsessed with this stone. And so he lets him uh, take the stone. And in place, he leaves his 2008 championship ring, kind of like, you know, collateral. And, you know, has a, a phenomenal fucking basketball game. And so he starts to, you know, essentially think it's good luck. And so the entire movie is the rundown of Adam Sandler and Kevin Garnett kind of back and forth in uh, over this stone and, uh, and you know, just the, the ensuing shenanigans that happened to Adam Sandler because while he's dealing with Kevin Garnett, he's, again, this whole time a gambling addict. So he's got money from other people that he's spending here and putting in bets here and owes these people money and owes these other people money and... You know, it's just kind of, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul the entire movie and it just causes a whole lot of hijinks. Lakeith Stanfield's character is hilarious and also, you know, he does this thing. I really enjoy the roles that he chooses and, and um, I think they're really good for him and he plays them really well and, and whether it's a huge role or a small role or a leading role, he always, you know, brings to the movie what's necessary for that role, whether it's, you know, I need to be the center of attention or I need to, you know, interject just enough here to make my character stand out and add to the movie but not overshadow, you know. He's, he's I really enjoy how he picks each role and how well he settles into each role. So shout out to Lakeith Stanfield for that. Um, it was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. I was interested the whole time. I'm a sports fan, so anything that's going to have to do with sports betting is going to have to do with points and, and stats and spreads and stuff that, you know, I find interesting just because I fuck with basketball. <clears throat> but it's also really interesting anytime I see Adam Sandler play a role that's not comedy because that's, you know, that's not his bag. His bag is comedy and I like it. I am a huge fan of the movie Spanglish. I'm also a large fan, not huge, but I'm a large fan of the um, the movie Click, which I think has a lot of comedic in it, comedic timing in it, a lot of jokes in it. But if you ever really sit and watch the movie Click, it's about, you know, wanting to go back and redo things. So, you know, new things and new outcomes in your life come out in different ways and how you can't change the past. And it's actually got a, it's a really poignant movie with kind of a heavier than appears at first glance, um, you know, storyline and lesson. So uh, I really like the movie Clink and I've never thought of it as just a straight comedy. Yeah, I think he actually has some really uh, grounded scenes in there. And, um, you know, Spanglish is just one of my favorite movies in general. I love that movie. 
So uh, I'm always really interested when Adam Sandler uh, jumps into something that's not necessarily comedy driven, and and he did a really good job. I believed his character. I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed uh, a lot of different scenes with the character that were funny because so he got to use his you know his, his funny bone, and then um, yeah, I really enjoyed the the movie overall. I'm not I'm gonna say now I'm not gonna tell what it is, but I'm not a huge fan of the ending. Uh, you know, I thought. And I don't know, maybe it was just because I'm writing a script right now, but I was just like, I would have written that ending differently. If it's not based on a true story, I would have written that ending a little bit differently just for my personal pleasure. I just think it kind of would have been a cool twist if it ended a different way, but definitely worth go, worth going to go see. Uh, I used a gift card to pay for it, but I would have gladly paid my you know, $12, $15 to go see it at Alamo. And uh, yeah, it's, if you have time, you should definitely go check out that movie. Uh, Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler and Lakeith Stanfield and Kevin Garnett. Really, really fast paced, fun, you know, just kind of dope movie. It's got the weekend in it and it's got a you know, performance scene. It's, it's, you can see A24, you can see who their key demographic is, like who they try to reach out to, but also kind of try to kind of grab these stragglers. It's like we have enough people in here that are recognizable by an older crowd that would make them probably go see it because it's just like, ooh, there's a new Adam Sandler movie out. <coughs> there's enough cool elements and all of their movies that make them very appealing to younger people as well. And then the way they're shot with almost, you know, from Native Son to Euphoria to this, um, Uncut Gems, the way a lot of their stuff is shot, and I don't know if I have to go back and look at well, all this stuff is directed by the same person or similar directors, but they definitely seem to have a style they go for, and stylistically it's, it's definitely a very, like, this TV show um, this uh, uh, movie looks like a long music video in the cinematography, in the colors. Um, and that's just something I've noticed with um, Native Sun, Euphoria, Uncut Gems. And I have even just the trailer and the scenes I've seen of Waves all seem to have that vibe. So um, great movie. If you have time, definitely go check it out. Um, so that was the last thing I watched. And then the last thing I read, uh, you know, a lot of different magazines and things like that are doing like, or we're doing now, it's a new year now, but before the year ended, they were doing like end of the year wrap-ups, so they're kind of reposting articles that they've uh, put out throughout the year, and so um, I was rereading, I can't remember if I read it to completion the first time, excuse me, but I was rereading the um, J. Cole article in, J in GQ, <laughs> a lot of people were giving him shit for the, the, the photo shoot, because my guy had like a lot of sandals and things like that on, but... I mean, he's from the South, and we do wear shit like that. Like, we wear sandals with suits and stuff like that because it's hot. Like, we wear linen suits with leather sandals. You know, like, that's a, that's the thing we do. <laughs> but I know a lot of people are giving him shit for that. Um, but the article, I don't think I ever actually read. I think I just looked at the photographs. <laughs> they had my guy in a boat with a leopard in it. I was like, the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah, the photo shoot was kind of crazy. But the article was really interesting. Um, I, li I love articles that are the back and forth, like not just like, this is the experience we had that day I wrote about, you know, when I went to go have lunch with them or whatever we met up to go do, they're getting their nails done and we're having this conversation, I'm interviewing them while they're doing, you know, something else. <clears throat> it was that, um, they were, it was, the interview was done over All-Star Weekend when it was in Charlotte, so like while they're interviewing him, he just, he had just come from the uh, rehearsal for the halftime show and he was doing a photo shoot and he got there, and the article starts out with, you know, Jay, you know, people were, like, running around. You could tell that somebody really important is about to be here because of 
how serious everybody who's getting ready for him looks and how fast everybody, uh, you know, is running around to try to get everything completed before he gets here. And uh, the interviewer, who I will look up, the interviewer said that um, you can tell how important somebody is by the amount of people that walk in with them when they arrive. And they were like, J. Cole it walks in, you know, surrounded by a group of like 10 people, and some people who are getting, you know, moving things around or getting things ready for him as he walks in, other people who are asking him questions, and then other people who, you know, just are on their phones and shit like that. And like the first thing he says when he walks in, he sees like, you know, most places you walk in with interviews or just backstage or whatever, there's like a table with food and shit. And he walks in and everybody's, you know, grabbing their food and stuff. And, uh, and he's like, uh, anybody order me lunch? And everybody's looking around, they're all holding their food, and they're like, ah, shit, <laughs> we forgot to order J. Cole's food. He's like, nah, it's no biggie, no, no biggie, and they're like, here, you can have this sandwich. <laughs> and says, so, you know, somebody was handing somebody somebody else's sandwich. Like, fuck them, you can have it, they can go get something else. And he's like, nah, nah, it's cool, y'all can order me something. And yeah, so it just kind of starts off with that, and it kind of back and forth, and just goes over a lot of, uh, you know, things we kind of already knew about J. Cole as far as, um, you know, his privacy and, you know, we didn't know he was married or a father until far after he was already married and was already a father. And, you know, it just, it just kind of touches on all the things we already kind of know and love about J. Cole, but it was, it was well-written and I learned a few things. Like I didn't realize that, uh, that J. Cole's, one of his homies, cause you know, a lot of people know that when J. Cole went to college, he went on a, um, he went on an, he went on a basketball scholarship and wound up graduating, like, with high academic honors, but, um, you know, he really used it as just a reason to go to New York, like, a, a, a free ride, essentially, you know, to New York, a scholarship to get out there, and he was, like, in a lot of his music, he says he didn't even think he was gonna wind up graduating, because he thought for sure he'd wind up getting signed before he, you know, before four years were up for him to graduate. Four years later, plays basketball, graduates, like, summa cum laude, or, you know, some shit like that, and um, graduates from, from school in, in New York. And they were talking about how when he was there and he was working on all of his early mixtapes, one of his friends worked for the Phoenix Suns. And so the Phoenix Suns um, were in their you know locker room. He would go in there and he would put a copy of J. Cole's mixtapes on each of the lockers of each of the players in the locker room. And because J. Cole's a basketball player, if anybody knows, again, about his early music, his first two albums uh, were very college-heavy because he was in college as far as the material and very basketball metaphor-heavy because he was a hooper. And the cover of, and the name of all of them are sports-inspired. You know, this, you know, his first album was called Sideline Story. Um, you know, the first uh, mixtape was called The Warm-Up. Uh, our first mixtape was called The Come Up, The Warm Up, and he's on the cover with a basketball. Like, it's always very basketball-driven things, so they, you know, use that, and I don't know if that was something that just happened to be a coincidence, or they're like, well, I know, you know, somebody in, in the NBA, so we're going to make all this shit basketball-themed, I guess, to catch their eye. Either way, he sits the, the mixtape on everybody's uh, locker, and it winds up catching the ear of Amari Stoudemire. And Amari Stoudemire at the time actually had a record label and wanted to sign J. Cole, but by this time, you know, J. Cole was, I think, already graduated or about to graduate. And by that time, he was already in talks with Jay-Z um, and into becoming, you know, the first major artist to be pushed um, on, on, you know, his new label at the time, Rock Nation. So I thought that was a really interesting story that I'd never heard before. I'm a huge J. Cole fan. I read tons of J. Cole articles. I listen 
to all of his music, even some of his more unheard mixtape, unheard of mixtapes. And I think that's the first time I've ever heard that story. So uh, that was a really, really interesting article. Um, let's see. It was written by. Uh, let's see. And, and they're reposting. If you go to the GQ Instagram page, they're reposting uh, a lot of their uh, articles. And um, if you haven't gotten a chance to read those, uh, you should. Like I reread the Nipsey Hussle article as well. Um, I didn't realize, wow, in that article, I didn't realize that when they interviewed both Nipsey and Lauren, I didn't realize Lauren London was supposed to be in Snowfall. John Singleton, RIP, um, his TV show that wound up taking off on FX, I didn't realize that she was supposed to be in Snowfall. Like, had already been cast, handpicked by John Singleton. Um, you know, she hasn't really been anything huge, really anything really, you know, trademarking since Atlanta. She's been in stuff here and there, movies like This Christmas, TV shows here and there on BET, but nothing like as pivotal as ATL was. Like ATL was something, you know, you see her and you're just like, that's Nuna. You know, she she kind of stole the show in that movie. And uh, she hasn't really been in anything huge since. And it said that in the article that she was cast, she said it was a role that nobody had ever seen her play before. It wasn't anything like any character she'd ever played before. She was doing stunts. Like she said, she was just about to really break out in a way that, you know, nobody had ever seen her really do before as far as the type of characters that she played. And then she got pregnant with her and Nipsey's son, Cross. And so then the article, Nip said, I didn't pressure her. I left the, you know, the decision completely and totally up to her. I know how motivated she is. I know how much her career means to her. And, uh, and, you know, Lauren actually said it just, it came down to my heart and my soul. And I heard exact words where it came down to my heart and my soul and I picked my soul. She was like, I love my son. I don't think I made a bad decision, but she said it was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my entire life to have this opportunity to be in this show with this, you know, heralded director and finally really sink my teeth into a role and, uh, you know, try to show people what I can really do and then to get pregnant. Then, you know, the show took off, you know, Snowfall's a huge hit. Then John Singleton passes away and she just was talking about, you know, how that was one of the most difficult decisions she's ever had to make. So really, really good article. If you had the time, go check it out. I love GQ's articles. Just looking at the different options that they're showing here. A lot of these I've read. I've read the, uh, I've read the article with J. Cole. I've read the article with, um, oh, why am I not thinking of his name right now? Oh no, from Superbad. Seth Rose Seth Rosenberg? No. Yeah, Seth Rose Seth Yeah, Seth Rosenberg. Why am I not thinking of his name right now? Yeah, Seth Rogan. Seth Rogan. Wow. <laughs> I was close. I was thinking of uh I was just looking at something with uh, Rosenberg from uh, Hot 97. So that's probably where I got that from, but yeah. Uh Seth Rogan, I, that article is really really good. Tom Holland's article in GQ is really really good. Um Brad Pitt's article in GQ is really good. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really, really dope articles on there. I really enjoy, uh, the writers for the most part on GQ and, um, the article about J. Cole was written by Allison P. Davis. Um, and the photography is done by, I want to pronounce his name right. I believe it's AWOL Irisku. And, uh, he also did the photos, those iconic photos now that will forever be remembered of Nipsey and Lauren spread in GQ of their, um, of their version of a fairy tale, uh, 
uh, fairy tale uh, union, you know, that's kind of what they were going towards, going for was fairy tale in LA in South Central. And uh, now those photos, you know, RIP Nip are going to be forever iconic. And uh, he took those photos as well as the photos uh, that were catching a lot of the slack. uh, in the J. Cole article, they are wild. They're just like mad animals in all these all these photographs. Like, there's leopards in the boat with him. There's like this giant jungle cat in his house on the floor. It, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting the outfits that they had him wearing because we're just, you know, super used to seeing J. Cole always in sweats or basketball shorts or jeans. So seeing one, seeing him in a suit, period, is just kind of different. And then two, to see him in like, <laughs> to see him in like these sweaters and, and sandals, uh, standing in the middle of, you know, the forest with a, with a crocodile or some shit. They're pretty interesting, but I mean, my guy's fresh. And like I said, it's a really, really dope article. Um, you know, J. Cole is about as authentic as you can get when it comes to these, these musician niggas. So it's, it's also a really, really heartfelt article and, um, I, I enjoyed it. So if you have time, that was the last thing I read was the uh, J. Cole article on GQ. You can check it out on their Instagram. Um, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I'm a big fan of GQ articles. So that was the last thing I watched, last thing I listened to, and the last thing I read. So on to the next segment in uh, in our in our uh, in our podcast, first podcast of the new decade. Um, so moving on to that next segment is nigga, we made it. And in today's segment, in today's uh, partial or portion of nigga, we made it. Um, this is a huge shout out to a Miss Jamisa McIver Bennett, who is a 26 year old that owns 18 properties. Now, when I saw this, I have uh, I have an aspiration to own property, and also have a um, also have a, a sister who is a real estate agent. So, anytime I see stuff about real estate, it's really really cool to me, and I always I always find it super impressive when somebody that young um, is already making moves like that. So what it looks like is with Miss McIver Bennett. Uh, She's the founder and CEO of Rosebud Investments. She became a real estate investor at the age of 19. She sold her late grandmother's house for $152,000 after doing research of her own and speaking with some financial advisors. Miss McIver Bennett decided that investing her earnings into real estate would be the best way to never have to work for someone else again. Under the tutelage of her mentor's guidance, she went to purchase her first home for $6,500 in cash, and she didn't stop there. Now 26, Ms. McIver Bennett is the owner of 18 properties throughout Pennsylvania, and she only has one mortgage. So yeah, that is super impressive. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I I, um, I favorited it. Um, check out that story on Black Enterprise's Instagram. Um, it's not too far down. If you scroll, you'll see her relatively quickly. She's sitting on some steps and there's like a further article you can read, uh, into there. But yeah, shout out to Miss McIver Bennett of Pennsylvania. That is very impressive, super inspiring, and definitely some black excellence. Shout out to Miss McIver Bennett. And that is our, uh, our segment for nigga. We made it. All right. So now getting into hot topics, uh, we will push right on through, um, yeah, so get into hot topics. I mean, just do a quick recap of, uh, what I did for, uh, for Christmas and for New Year's, uh, decided to stay in town this year. Didn't, didn't go to Houston. Didn't get as much time off or just the way the time off fell. Um, it wasn't as consecutive as Thanksgiving, so I didn't go out of town, but I did go to my sister's for Christmas Eve, which is really kind of the night that, uh, that we all get together to do stuff. That's the night we eat, um, open a lot of gifts with the kids, play games, 
um, stuff like that. And then, you know, everybody goes back to their collective dwellings for uh, for Christmas Day. And then you do Christmas morning with your families and everything. And then kind of, you know, keep that time to yourself. So Christmas Eve, the night before, is usually when we gather to do really cool stuff. And so I did that again. Food was great, as per usual. Always really good to see, um, you know, my family, um, Evie and her husband and um, you know, our sister Bibi and all the kids. And, and you really, when I go over there and hang out with them on Christmas, you really, really get the Christmas spirit in full doses. Like, if, without kids and stuff around, I think, in all honesty, I could just kind of skip Christmas. It's just another day. It's like dope to have a day off. I got a lot of work done. <laughs> you know, I got a lot of pages written on my script. So that was great. Um, but, and got to go see that movie. So that was awesome. But for the most part, um, without a lot of kids around and just, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not, not in the Christmas period. I'm not a Scrooge by any means. Um, but, uh, it just doesn't have the same vibe to me, you know, doesn't as, it doesn't have the same Christmas feels as, uh, as my sister uh, said, my niece said, doesn't have the same Christmas feels, um, when there's not any kids around. So I always love going over there for Christmas because I get to get those full Christmas feels with all the kids running around playing with each other and the games that they play and watching them open their presents and, got to take some pictures to send to my brother um and and you know just really love seeing their faces light up when they get to open their toys and see stuff that they expected or stuff that they didn't expect that's always fun that's my favorite part of Christmas is watching kids open their presents I always tell people every year don't buy me shit if I really want something for Christmas I'll buy it for myself you know other than that I don't want you to feel like you have to buy me nothing because I'm probably not gonna buy you anything because also right after Christmas is rent you feel me so so I'd be worried about making sure I can take care of that that don't buy too much on Christmas I don't party too hard on New Year's because right after that we got to pay rent <laughs> so um, yeah shout out to my sister had a great time going over there for Christmas um her sister BB uh her birthday is uh New Year's Eve or New Year's Day it's one or the other it's either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day but every year she has a New Year's party because it's her birthday and so this year it was a themed party it was uh uh because we're going into a new decade it was uh your favorite decade so everybody came dressed up in their favorite de- decade. <coughs> like uh, one guy came in with the, you know, the Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wayne flip up glasses and a very colorful '90s kind of print shirt and um, um, some overalls. And then BB kind of had on like a pimp suit, so she was you know looking very uh, very '70s. And then I came over in like my dashiki and my chucks and. Had my beanie on with my beads and stuff, so I was definitely giving my, you know, throwing the peace sign, giving my 60s vibe with my round glasses on. And, uh, yeah, everybody came through. Uh, her husband had on, um, like, kind of a, uh, like, a, what do you call it, Adidas tracksuit, and then had on, like, a, like the, the big chains and everything, very 80s. So, and then throughout the party, they, they played, you know, a mix of uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s to current. Uh, 2000s music and so it was a really fun time I had a really dope time uh, anytime you go to a New Year's Eve party usually the theme is dress up I don't really know why that is people always I don't I just bring in the new year and you're you're you know your best dressed gear but uh, usually that's the theme of New Year's is you get dressed up but um this year uh, it was really cool to not have to worry about getting dressed up but still you know plan your outfit it was fun so got some cool pictures out of that that my sister took and, and just had a really good time um you know uh, bringing in the new year with fam so that was cool that was what I did over my new year's and you know anytime we get into new year's I get to people thinking and talking about new year's resolutions now 
I am not a huge person who uh, who is uh, for New Year's resolutions. I think if you want to better yourself or want to do something or want to complete something or finish something, it's cool to have a reason that kind of puts a kick under your butt, lights a fire under your butt. But, I mean, if, you, if you're thinking about it in fucking October, you should be trying to make that shit happen in you know November. Like, you should be trying to do it as soon as possible is usually my opinion. But, um, you know, I think they're cool. I didn't necessarily make any this year. I mean, my New Year's resolutions is always just try to get back consistent with anything I'm not being consistent with anymore, whether that's working out or eating better or um, finishing projects and not procrastinating. Those are usually my top two at the beginning of every year. Eat better and procrastinate less. <laughs> um, um, those, you know, those are just things I'm always trying to prove to myself. And I feel like I constantly struggle with uh, all types of stuff all the time. And I try to actively put effort forth to better myself in all arenas uh, not necessarily just waiting for new year's um but uh but you know just that's what my new year's resolution is every year is just finish what i by say i'm gonna start procrastinate less take better care of myself and uh that's what it's gonna be again going into this year because i feel like if i am consistent with those things um, those are going to be things that really help me try to push forward with any and everything that I want to accomplish in the upcoming year. So if you have new year's resolutions, it's cool. I'm not the type of person that's like, oh, that's stupid. I don't knock them. You did, whenever you're trying to better yourself, that's what's up. So, um, if you have any, let's try to stick to them. Uh, I'm definitely starting this weekend, going to get my ass in uh, the gym that I pay for as part of my rent <laughs> and, 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 uh, um, you know, get back working out. I always, think better and feel better just in general even if I'm not necessarily just like shedding pounds but when I'm in the gym it gives you a certain set of regiment because you have to plan to do that for however long you want to do it and however many times a week you want to do it so it gives you a certain amount of regiment to be able to say hey I have to get in this workout so um, if nothing else I enjoy it for that reason um definitely gonna finish I finished my script yay so uh, definitely gonna you know finish that and continue pressing forward with that and then you know, get my first, uh, you know, first production up on stage before the end of this year, um, and, uh, and submit, um, my, uh, my short that I put out last year, choosing, as well as this new script I wrote into, uh, into some festivals and try to, you know, really get myself out there in other mediums. And, you know, I also want to try and begin, if not complete, a book of poetry, like a real full length book of poetry. So those are my plans. And then, you know, uh, I'm trying to hold myself accountable for those things. And if you're following this podcast, uh, hold me accountable. So <laughs> if you got to DM me, get me in the comments. Uh, I, I would, I appreciate anybody who's trying to make sure I stay on the, uh, the creative path that I've laid out for myself. So, um, those are, those, are, I guess my new year's quote unquote resolutions now. Uh, moving into more music topics, um, watching the uh, Joe Budden podcast uh, over the break, um, they had Summer Walker's tour manager, or I think just overall manager on there, because he also manages um, some other artists, including Black, um, and they were talking about Summer Walker's much debated um, stage presence. And that brought up a really interesting conversation. I was watching it with a friend of mine who's also a performer. And so also, you know, has insight into stage presence and things of that nature. And we thought it was really interesting just kind of watching um, them go back and forth. Um, I feel like what I got from the conversation is mainly <clears throat> Joe's complaint was that Summer Walker on stage, and I have never been to a Summer Walker show, but I have seen this in clips of performances that she's given. 
Um, and while I don't believe clips wholeheartedly tell what a person's you know performing capabilities are, I know that before I went to the SZA control tour, I saw SZA several, and a lot of them full length performances of her sets. And although they could not compare to when I actually went in person, I definitely got an idea of what I was going to see. And it made me excited to go see the show because I was like, man, she puts on a show. You know, it's kind of like uh, when I first ever discovered Chance the Rapper, it was live. It was at South by Southwest. I was like, who the fuck is this guy putting on this show? And it made me go get his albums. It made me purchase tickets later on in the future because I had already heard the music, loved it, and I'd already seen him perform. And even though it was a very small set because it, was, it wasn't like his show because it was at Fader Fort during South by, it was a very small set, but it was enough to see, oh, this guy can command a stage. And so when it came time to see a full, see him headline at Jambalaya, which was a stop on his coloring book tour, I knew I was going to be in for a show. And it superseded anything I could have expected. I mean, I, I remember the Chance concert. I was in this huge crowd because it was at a festival. Um, but I was, I was, just, I was crying because I was just like so moved, not only by the music, but by how he commanded the stage and how his presence melded with the music to just make a really, really moving experience. So um, I know, you know, how a sample size of something can give you a taste of whether or not somebody's good at something or not. It's like, I'm not going to know the quality all the way of a basketball player by watching their highlight reel, but I'm going to see what they can do well because they're going to showcase what they can do well. That's the whole point of a highlight reel. <laughs> so um, it's really interesting to hear their conversation talking about her lack of, really just her lack of energy. And not energy in a necessity, I think what I really took away from this conversation and even made me want to uh, bring it up on the podcast is not necessarily the idea that like energy has to mean a high level of upbeat energy it doesn't necessarily mean you got to be jumping around doesn't necessarily mean you got to be you know tap dancing or doing anything crazy a lot of times if you're good at that it does bring energy to a show but when it comes to an r&b singer i mean i've seen now i'm not a huge fan of him right now because he said some silly shit but his music's phenomenal um daniel caesar that's somebody who i've seen perform and my guy is definitely, he don't even give the vibe like he would be jumping around. <laughs> he's definitely not jumping around. He's definitely not doing a lot physically, but he's commanding the stage. He feels like this This looks very rehearsed, even if you're just singing into this microphone. Um, you know, nobody's asking her to be Tiana Taylor and get up there and twerk or do whole routines or, you know, death drop <laughs> ballroom style like nobody's asking her to do that but she does look bored and nobody wants to walk away from that so between the complaints that people had about the meet and greets um which is you know if you don't want to be around people that's that's not even a complaint i've really you know it's not valid if you tried it you don't like it don't do it anymore give people their money back for the meet and greets and meet and greets are, and vip tickets don't have to include meet and greets you can give them some free merch you can give them a free copy of the album you know, you can give them all types of stuff that comes along with the ticket that makes it have more value than, say, just a general admission ticket versus them having to actually come share space with you if that's not something that you physically want or are capable of doing. So I understand that. But when they get to the show that they paid for, it should be a show that they paid for. And so I understand, you know, 
where Justice was saying, hey, man, we're, you know, Summer's different. She's breaking the mold of all singers. She doesn't look or do things like any singer before her. She doesn't have to. Yo, 100% agreed. But whatever she does on that stage, it needs to look like she wants to be there. Nobody wants to pay money to go see an artist who does not look like they are enjoying what they're doing. Or even more so, less than enjoying, it just looks bored. You could be up there looking sad or angry because of what you're singing is sad or angry, but you shouldn't be up there looking fucking bored. <laughs> That's trash. Nobody wants to pay money for that. So I've seen it in some clips. There are other people who have said they had a great show. You know, different people want di- different strokes for different folks. They want different things out of their live performances. But I do understand the idea that whether you are jumping up and down or sitting on a fucking stool or behind a piano like Alicia Keys and not moving a muscle, you should not look bored. And the energy you bring to the show should reflect the music, reflect the art, and should reflect what you want me to leave that show with. You look bored, I'm going to leave that motherfucker probably bored and thinking you were bored. If you don't move a fucking inch, but you look so into it that you draw me in, like there are poets who perform like Ariana Brown or Miles Hodges, who when they perform, you tell a motherfucker next to you to shut up because they're not going to get any louder. You know that they're not going to start screaming their poetry. They're not going to start doing a whole lot of physicalities that go along with what they're trying to say to capture you. No, they're going to stand right there in their words, but the way that they stand in their words and the delivery and the nuance and the enunciation, everything that they're doing is premeditated, partner. (laughs) So that premeditation and that, you know, attention to detail and being that in it, you know, like we have this thing in poetry, we would say, we say, you get up there and you like, go in. And it's just, it's, it's just, you lose yourself in the work. You go in, you remember why you wrote it. You get up there and you leave everything on stage, whether that means you standing in one spot or you moving or jumping or screaming or whatever, but you go in, you remember why you wrote it and you leave all everything on stage and however that looks. And, you know, whether it's, me who can be very demonstrative in the way I perform or Ariana Brown who barely moves, but I'll tell the nigga next to me, yo, I really want to hear her because she be saying some shit and she be saying it live. Shut the fuck up. You know what I'm I want to hear her. I paid to hear her, you know? So I feel like, you know, don't create a back set where our background or backdrop where somebody who's as chill as Summer Walker it has, you know, even though she used to be a stripper, don't have strippers and pyro and all the other bullshit behind her if that's not the vibe you're trying to give off because I'm going to expect a certain thing to come with that because of what my mind has been trained over the years to go with that type of set. If Summer Walker is telling people, yo, I'm just up here vibing, y'all know what it is, y'all follow me on Instagram, y'all see how I do, then yo, make her fucking set her room. Maybe it'll make her more comfortable so she won't look so awkward or bored or whatever. And it'll give people the illusion of what they're used to seeing her on versus looking at their phone and seeing it. They'll see a huge live version of what they see her do every day. Put her fucking crystals and singing bowl and all that other fucking new age bullshit that she likes. Put it in there. Put a bed in there. Put her guitar over there. Recreate the room that she's most comfortable in on stage. That way, if she's just walking around, singing in her mic, picks up her guitar and sits on her bed and starts strumming it. If she starts doing stuff that she normally would do, that's a show. And she would be comfortable. And that comfortability and that 
essence that she gets when she's, you know, in her most happy place will come through from stage and she won't have to jump around and she won't need pyro and she won't need strippers in the background. The way Joe Budden said, yo man, I'm not mystified by the smoke and mirrors. I know what it looks like when people put a bunch of shit on stage to distract people from the fact that the person that they came to see ain't really doing shit. So if she don't want to do shit, make it the coolest version of not doing shit that it could possibly be. But don't be up there with all these false props in the background, standing around looking bored like I really don't want to be here. Because that's kind of a spit in the face to the people who are making you money. (laughs) And, you know, I don't think he wanted to come out and say it. Her manager, Justice, essentially is, yo, if she doesn't want to be here and she's still here and she looks like she doesn't want to be here, it looks like a money grab. It looks like you're just doing dates and you're just doing tour because it's going to make money. And if that's the case, that's kind of a huge spit in the face. Not only are we not getting our money's worth, but you're giving us bullshit and just collecting a check. Nah, I'm not with that. So I think if you're trying to create something different, do something different. If Summer's breaking so many molds, break the mold. Don't put a setup on stage that looks like somebody who wants to dance when you've got somebody who would be more comfortable sitting behind a bunch of candles and shit on stage. Create the mood that you say she sets. If you want to sit there, if you say you listen to Summer Walker's music, listening to candle or smoking, uh, smoking a joint with some candles lit, listening to her music, and that's the vibe you get, then make that vibe on stage. Set up, light a whole bunch of candles on stage. Put a fucking bathtub on stage and have her sit up there, fully clothed, you know, it's up to her, and just sit there and sing. From the bathtub with a bunch of candles around her. Have her create the vibe that you think people like and you the scenarios you think people are in. Like there's ways to figure that shit out. You can ask people. You can create make a fucking contest out of it. How do you listen to your summer walker music? And create a vibe or create a set that goes with that vibe. But the last thing anybody should ever see when they pay to go to somebody's show, whether they're singing or rapping, fucking playing a guitar or whatever is the person that they paid hard-earned money <laughs> to see and might be, maybe possibly had to get somebody to watch their badass kids so they can go to your show, so that costs them some more money, and then they get there and your ass look like you don't want to be there. Nah. And what I say to that is I say this, Shorty, if you ain't built for it, I am, and I know a bunch of people who are. <laughs> Fuck off the stage if you don't want to be there. So uh, that was an interesting conversation. Another really interesting conversation about another female artist that I um, saw a clip from was um, LeBron's show, The Shop. And it was, actually I heard this clip, uh, and it was uh, Will Smith talking about when his daughter Willow uh, was opening for Jay-Z on tour. And it was when she had had her smash hit come out, the uh, I whip my hair back and forth. And um, I guess halfway through or at some point while she was on tour, she went to her dad and she said, hey, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Just outright, <clears throat> I don't want to do this anymore. And she said her dad came back with, now hold on, you, you know, you told Mr. Jay-Z that you were going to do this, you know, 30 days. You told him you were going to do this many dates with him. And she said, I didn't tell him that. You did. And he was like, well, I mean, you made a commitment either way, so we're going to you know, finish out this tour and then we'll talk about whether or not you want to do it again in the future. Next day, he said he woke up. <clears throat> At the time, Willow had dreads. She had long hair. She cut it. I remember when Willow cut her hair and she went like just shaved it all off and went bald. That's why. She essentially was like, I can't whip my hair back and forth if I ain't got no damn hair to whip. And so she cut her hair. And that was kind of her statement in telling her dad, you know, I'm trying to tell you, 
this is not serving me. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not happy doing this anymore. I want to stop. And if you won't just listen to me and hear me and respect that, I will find a way to show you just how serious I am. And so she cut her hair. And I just thought that was such a really dope and poignant, just really, really great story. Um, you know, and he said that was the first time, you know, he had to realize that his kid had a mind of her own and he had to respect her and then, you know, kind of take her feelings into account. And if she didn't want to do it anymore, well, she just fucking didn't want to do it anymore. And, you know, that's just a huge shout out to the youth and then just the, you know, the newer generation who, um, are not afraid to use their voices. I'm constantly in awe of it and respect it. And, uh, shout out to Willow Smith for taking a stand. She said, I don't want to do this shit no fucking more. And, you know, ever since she's kind of made music and shared it the way she's wanted, the way she wants to. And, you know, that's the benefit of coming from a family where you don't have to be motivated by money. But, um, yeah, at the same time, you got to respect it. So shout out to Willow Smith. I thought that was a really cool story. Um, moving on. We'll stay with black women. Yeah, we'll stay with black women. We'll stay with black women. We'll get the black men. So we'll stay with black women. Um, so recently, today, I saw a tweet, and I never understand this. It's really ridiculous to me. But I saw a tweet that apparently now has gone viral, uh, where somebody said, "I don't know how it is Ari Lennox and Tiana Taylor can both be so fine, but both still look like Rockwallers or some shit like that." They were essentially this this man, this black man, based on the Abbey. Um, and the people who were retweeting it mainly, um, were comparing Tiana Taylor and Ari Lennox to dogs, which I think both of these women are beautiful. Like Tiana Taylor bad as fuck. So bad. Like I've had a crush on Tiana Taylor since like sweet, her, her, my super sweet 16. Like I've had a crush on Tiana Taylor for years, like for years before she got super popular with the TV show and before, you know hit album and all that, I have been thinking Tiana Taylor, one, I've always thought she was swaggy as fuck, and two, I've always thought she was beautiful, like, my nigga, that ass, woo, yeah, you wildin', and she's beautiful, them lips, like, she's so pretty to me, and then Ari Lennox is also fine to me as well, I like, I like her, you know, her curly hair, I think she also has beautiful lips, um, she thicker than the snicker, and they're both super talented, which is always attractive, I've seen flat I'm not supposed to call anybody ugly, but I've seen flat ugly people, male and female, pull off talent alone. So when you have the features that these two do on top of being wildly talented, I don't know how anybody could possibly have it come out of their dumbass mouth that either one of them is not attractive. So I thoroughly disagree. I think they're both beautiful. But I did see that tweet. I did see how um, how it was getting retweeted and going viral. And then I get home and I see uh, the live video that Ari Lennox has done essentially you know kind of calling the question and calling the action black men just saying you know how many times do we see white men getting out there just bashing white women especially white women's bodies how often do we see Latino men getting out there just bashing Latino women's bodies you know any any race you don't see that any nationality you don't really see people doing that you see a lot of you know um, people going to bat for their women I mean with the exception of possibly maybe no, I guess because that really just depends on how much you know about that culture. You know, with the exception of, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The simplicity and or um, humility 
of how you know like Muslim culture looks at at um, you know how women should carry themselves. Um, but even then, it's not bashing necessarily. Like black men, it's always wild to me when I see them bashing, like no other word for it, bashing black women. That's I don't see other cultures doing that. I agree with her, and I never understand it. I, it's only thing I can attribute it to is just. I still oftentimes see black men with a very real desire to feel like equality means being able to do the same things that white men can do. Now, follow me, because <laughs> in this instance, it's not being able to do the same things white men can do, but it's doing the same things that white men do. So, it, so I, I, I've heard before, white men bash black women's bodies not white women's I've heard white men bashing white women's bodies but I've heard white men bashing black men's body I mean black women's bodies and I've heard disrespect and very very lewd and crude things from white men about black women and I think when black men do it I think it's tied to that and wanting to be able to, you know wanting to do that as well because I think in a lot of black men's eyes a lot of black people's eyes especially of different generations being able to do the same things white people do is like reaching like the highest peak, the highest plateau. Like if I move out of my neighborhood when I get money and go live with white people, if I marry me a white woman, if I you know talk like a white person, if I bash black women like like a white man, then you know I have reached a certain level of status because I'm able to do with the most high a white you know a cisgender white man is at the top of the stack, and if I can do what they do, then I'm at the top of the pile as well. And, and I think that that influences it. And I also think just self-hatred in general influences it. Just why I, I think to a certain extent self-hatred influences why a lot of black men don't choose to be in relationships or date or marry black women. It's just the idea that doing what white people do, having access to what white people have on some Kanye West shit allows you a certain level of status that, you know, you're trying to achieve because they're at the top of the top and you feel like, you know, black, black men feel like they're, you know, in, in a lot of ways they are at the bottom of the bottom. So they're like, if I get to what the white man is doing, if I can do what the white man does and say what the white man does, then I am, you know, equal and you know, I'm just as high up as they are, not realizing that the white men don't give a shit about you or your women or your people or your children or your community. And so you're doing all these things trying to be equal to them and they hate you. <laughs> so you're bashing black women who literally brought you into this world, literally gave you life, literally have been fighting for your existence since you existed, but you're bashing them or ignoring them or downgrading them because it makes you feel closer to whiteness. And that's something that a lot of black men, something that a lot of black people in general chase because it makes them feel whole, not realizing that as long as you keep using that as like a standard, the gold standard, you're forever keeping yourself down and you're never really going to be able to truly achieve equality or, you know, progress. And so, you know, shout out to Ari Lennox, shout out to Tiana Taylor. I don't think anybody needs to tell Tiana Taylor that she fine. You can call her what you want to. And she has a beautiful husband who is telling her all the live long day just how fine she is. They have a gorgeous child. She's rich. She's like, why, why, why? I don't understand it, but we know Ari's a little more sensitive. Tiana's a, a thug. <laughs> we know just based on her videos, and this isn't the first time she's spoken out this way, that Ari's a bit more sensitive. And so she, you know, said something very poignant, and I wanted to touch on it. And, you know, shout out to her. Shout out to Dreamville. Shout out to, you know, Tiana. Shout out to, you know, both of their camps. 
phenomenal artists, phenomenal women doing dope stuff. Can't wait for both of their next projects. Um, enjoyed both of their projects uh, uh, that they both you know, most recently dropped thoroughly. And uh, yeah, very, very interesting to me to see that this is a conversation that just doesn't seem to die. Like uh, These are two of the newer people, two of the newer women to fall victim to this type of shit, but it's sad that it's still going on because, like I said, I do and I honestly believe it is connected to the things that I just mentioned, and those things are so played. Like, there's no way we're ever going to overthrow white supremacy if we're still thinking they're supreme <laughs> and thinking that anything about our people or our culture is not that of kings and queens. And so it's 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 pretty sad to see and, you know... Something I definitely want to talk about, but if y'all see or hear dudes doing saying shit like that, if y'all see or, see or hear anybody doing the same, like just check it. Like, how are we supposed to move forward if we can't hold our own people accountable? Like, I, I it ain't always got to be new. You sound stupid. Shut your dumb ass up. It doesn't have to be hostile. But when I hear, you know, my people say ignorant shit, I, I let them know. I don't have to, you know, bogart them or make them feel stupid. But I'll definitely tell them like. Yo, man, why you why why you saying that? You think white people sitting around talking shit about other white people? Nah, they talking shit about us, and now we are too, and so we we look double dumb, <laughs> like and you know just let them know, like just plant the seed in somebody's head that you know these little things you do and say that you think don't add up to anything or have no totality do, you know, and then even somebody who you think might be famous and this might not get to or bother, they see that shit. Just just like you wouldn't know anybody talking shit about your sister, she's somebody's sister. She's she's somebody. Period. And you know respect her as a black queen, and you should. Why wouldn't you? So, uh, speaking of black women, uh, will probably be the last topic in hot topics. Cause want to run through some other really quick stuff and then get into a little bit of basketball. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I saw a meme today, and essentially it said you have to get rid, or you have to keep one, and it had photos, and it had Stacey Dash, Chrisette Michelle, Kanye West, and Steve Harvey. It says you gotta keep one, and I saw it generating. Maybe I don't know if it was from that, or if that meme came from the conversation that had been going on but I see a lot of conversation going on about did we did we judge too harshly or did we go too hard on Chrisette Michelle and while I think Stacey Dash is probably somebody who I can I don't ever think about I don't ever think about Chrisette Michelle either but but uh but I don't ever think about her in any way shape form or fashion I mean with Kanye if you've listened to this podcast if you know me in person or if you just have a cell in your brain you know that Kanye West has done a complete you know 180 and then there's nobody who no longer represents it's somebody who no longer represents our community um and you know it's completely 180 on the things that made him a staple and hero in our community and gone into you know something completely literally instead of going completely right and just went you know very very Republican and conservative with uh, you know, uh, a lot of his his new teachings and new things that he believes and new things that he talks about, and you know that's ostracized him from the community in a very serious way that I don't see being fixed anytime soon. Um, even if he just started talking about something different, I think 
it would take so much longer to undo everything he's done that it wouldn't be something we saw quickly. Um, and then, you know, Steve Harvey is somebody who's from a different generation, but generation generation, you know, stupid is as stupid does, and he's done a lot of stupid shit, but also not somebody who I was, I'm ever really checking for, so I don't really miss him, you know, from my life's algorithm. <laughs> um, but as far as Chrisette Michelle, what she's done, I think, is a bit less heinous than any of the other people we just mentioned, because while she performed at Donald Trump's uh, inauguration, and that was just very, very stupid and not well thought out on her part. Like, I don't know how you didn't think that this would have negative backlash, but maybe she thought it would be the type of negative backlash that just got her name buzzing and didn't realize how serious it was going to be and how strongly it was going to affect her career. But, uh, but it has. And, she, you know, she's, that should happen all the backlash. She got dropped from her label. Like, I think she was on a reality show that she was not asked back to. Like, it really fucked with her career. And, um... While everybody else did something or said something that was very obviously pro-right or anti-gay or threatened the progress of the black community <laughs> um, or, you know, just was hateful in some way, she's the one person who didn't necessarily say or do anything explicitly. She did She did something and then she performed for Donald Trump's inauguration, which was um, still action but in her words, she thought she was going there to, you know, be somebody that looked like us and represented us in a space where there probably weren't going to be many. Now, while I think that was either very naive or very stupid or she's, you know, decision or she's lying, um, I think it's something that's more forgivable than anything that any of the other three did. I don't think that anything she's done has been quite as serious as anywhere near as serious as the things that Kanye West has both said and done. Mostly said, but done as well. I don't think that it's been anywhere near as serious as any of the things that Steve Harvey has said. I don't think it's been anywhere anywhere near as stupid as any of the things that Stacey uh, Dash has said. So, you know, while I wasn't a Chrisette Michelle fan to begin with, and I'm not just like, okay, I'm I'm going to... Well, I'm going to stop being mad at her because I really miss her music. No, I couldn't tell you a fucking single Chrisette Michelle song if, like, there was a gun to my head. But, um, but at the same time, I mean, at this point in time, I guess we could let Shorty make it. I'm not actively doing anything to hold her back, but I think the people that are need to, eh, you might, you might go into 2020, might let that burden go. <laughs> you know, like, like, let that one go. Let, sh- let Shorty make it, because I don't think she went as hard as anybody else. I think she just made a really, really ill-advised um, choice, to, uh, career move as far as, you know, where or who she was performing in support of, um, just because she didn't have a whole lot of other options at the time or a whole other opportunities, and she was just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be something nationally televised. Um, bad decision. <laughs> Everybody makes them. But I don't think that it, it's something that she shouldn't be able to bounce back from. That's just my opinion, though. If you, you know, if you feel differently, like I said, I always invite people to leave their opinions in the comments. But I don't think she did anything Kanye West bad. I, uh, it was a stupid idea to perform for him, but at the same time, uh, as long as she performed and she got paid and she didn't fucking, you know, donate anything to this nigga's campaign or any shit like that. So I don't know. That's just my opinion. Um, that will 
more than likely be the last topic. I mean, one other thing, but it's really just a, kind of an announcement that just came out today. We won't know until it actually comes out and we actually see it, but Kevin Hart is set to host the Oscars. I know he does have a series that just dropped on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet. As I told my homie, I ain't rushed to watch anything from Kevin Hart in a very long time, um, but since it's not comedy, <laughs> it's a documentary, I actually might go watch it um, and you know take it a bit more seriously than his last couple stand-ups, which weren't that funny to me, but... Uh, because he's gone through so much recently, and I do enjoy the guy. I probably will go check out the series, but yeah, that is an announcement that just broke, is that Kevin Hart is uh, set to host the Oscars, so that'll be interesting to see, especially after all the uh, hubbub that was surrounding him trying to host it last year, so we shall see. Um, other than that, I uh, really just wanted to kind of to close up the uh, the hot topics, which just run through. I, I back and forth a lot over if I wanted to do a top albums of 2019, if I wanted to do top rap albums of 2019. I saw a lot of people doing top albums of the decade, which I was just like, that shit gives me a fucking anxiety attack, just trying to think about possibly sitting there and ranking, especially ranking, but even listing uh, my favorite albums from the last decade. It's just like, Jesus, the last decade? In two, a decade ago, it would be 2020. 2010 since it's 2020 now in 2010 it was my last year in college so it's just like that that's god trying to think about all the music I was into at the time in college as well as um as well as uh yeah as well as trying to like actually put it in order yeah just like I said literally I just had a brain fart just then trying to even possibly think about it like, no fucking way. Like, <laughs> there's too much anxiety. So instead of trying to list them or rank them, I really just sat down without trying to do too much research and just thought back, to, okay, 2010, what was I listening to then? What was I listening to before that? And what are my favorite albums of the decade? Um, I tried really hard to make sure these were all albums and not mixtapes, uh, which is why there's a couple things on here like... Um, Friday Night Lights, or like, um, I want to say, oh, I can't remember if that made it in the decade, ah, I can't remember if that made it in the decade or not, I want to say it did, so even now I'm just thinking of stuff and I'm literally adding it to the list as I speak, because I'm just like, there's no Little Wayne on here, there's no way I can leave off Little Wayne in the decade, going back to 2010, 2010, Little Wayne was still like at his peak. Like, Lil Wayne was still out here bodying shit. Um, God, there's so much shit. Like, there's, that's the reason there's, like, Cushion Orange Juice isn't on here. So I'm like, ah, that was a mixtape. So there's so much stuff that I've, like, wanted to put on here. And I'm like, damn it. There's a lot of Wayne shit I wanted to put on here. And I'm like, damn it, I, I don't know. I think that was, I think that was a mixtape. So it didn't make it. Uh, so there's quite a few things on here that um, might seem like they're missing. But either I just didn't think of them because I had a brain fart because it was just overwhelming trying to think of music in the last 10 years, um, especially without like sitting down and really just like pulling up my laptop and doing the fucking most, which I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, it's just really overwhelming. So this is in no order, no list, hip hop, R&B, um, there might even be some soul on here. It's, it's pretty mixed up, but in no particular order, these are my favorite albums of the decade. Um if I forgot anything, leave it in the comments, remind me, and I'll be like, oh shit, that's crazy. Um, so. Alright, so, off top, top two albums I have on here, and again, not in order, top two, but just 
They just happened to be back-to-back, and I think they were both equally important because of when they came out, what they represented, and what they did for the culture. Um, So starting off at the very top, and I'm just going to read these off. Kendrick Lamar, Good Kid, Mad City. That actually is probably my favorite album of the decade. Remember where I was the first time I heard it. Went and bought the physical album. That tells you the the difference of when this came out in, I think, 2011, 2012, maybe. Um, Around that time, people were still buying physical albums. I remember going to go get it, getting the deluxe version, because I always buy the deluxe version of albums when I buy the physical copies. And, uh, And also seeing that the other version, the regular version, was sold out. So, like, this is when people were still going to go buy albums. Um, Good Kid, Mad City is probably my favorite album of the decade, and it's the first on the list. Followed by another Kendrick album with To Pimp a Butterfly, uh, Forest Hills Drive, Control, uh, Forest Hills Drive by uh, J. Cole. Uh, One of my favorite J. Cole albums, to me, was just a great answer for everybody who was just like, J. Cole's boring, and I was like, yeah, suck a dick, my nigga, bars for that ass, and he produced all this shit, and it ain't no features, my nigga is the nicest, um, but um, also in to, to Pimp a Butterfly, it was poignant, it was necessary at the time, the country was going through so much, it literally was a soundtrack to, you know, resistance, so gotta love that album, and it being a whole dedication to Tupac is actually an idea I had when I was a kid, so that the conversation he had at the end with Tupac, everything I was just like this album is phenomenal so Good Kid Mad City by Kendrick To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Forest Hills Drive by J. Cole Control by SZA Victory Lap by Nipsey Hussle R.I.P. Nothing Was the Same my favorite Drake album ever I feel like anybody's favorite Drake album is the Drake album you were listening to when you were going through a breakup I was going through a breakup when that album came out I think it's some of his best rapping ever. I think it's some of my favorite beats from him ever. And I think it's probably the most, one of the most cohesive albums that um, he's ever put out before. It is by far my favorite Drake album ever. I can listen to that album still to this day from top to bottom. Um, Carter Three, Little Wayne, Daytona, Pusha T, Lemonade, Beyonce, A Seat at the Table, Solange, Never Story, J.I.D., The Sun's Tirade, Isaiah Rashad, Trap Soul, Bryson Tiller, Blonde, Frank Ocean, Astro World, Travis Scott, Damn, Kendrick Lamar, Championships and Wins and Losses, Meek Mill, Shea Butter Baby, Ari Lennox, Keeping That Same Energy or Keep That Same Energy, Tiana Taylor, The Black Panther Soundtrack, Watch the Throne, Beach House 3, um, East Atlanta Love Letter, Coloring Book, Slim Queen and Slim Soundtrack, and Lost Boy. Now again, this is a decade, so I know there are plenty of albums in there that I have missed. Um, If you want to leave albums in the comments, again, I always encourage you guys to do that Um, and, you know, at me and say, hey, you forgot this album, you forgot this album. Like I said, the idea of sitting down and trying to sit and do research of every batch of albums, if I just typed in rap albums that came out in 2010, rap albums that came out in 2011, like the idea of sitting down and doing that just, like I said, literally gives me anxiety, um, but if you haven't heard any of those albums, or if I just mentioned something you haven't listened to in a while, go back and bang that shit, all those are albums, so they're all available for streaming, I looked on most uh, major platforms, or all major platforms, um, and yeah, there's just a lot of music, like I said, there are a lot of mixtapes that I was thinking of that I didn't add, um, you know, uh, dedications, uh, when it comes to, uh, to, um, when it comes to, uh, Wayne, um, Friday Night Lights and the warm up when it comes to Cole, uh, you know, Section 80, which some people argue is Kendrick's best album when it comes to Kendrick, 
um, like I said, cushion orange juice from Wiz Khalifa. I mean, there's just, you know, list and list. Some of the chicks tapes from, uh, from Tory Lanez, um, uh, so far gone from Drake, like a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, mixtape shit that, uh, T.I. did. And I was trying to double check some dates on a lot of tips, older albums, but just, I mean, you know, all the trap stuff that came out. I mean, trap had a whole, whole era there for about two, three years. So I back and forth about putting some of Future's mixtapes on here because preferably I prefer a lot of Future's mixtape stuff to his album stuff. Although I did really like Wizard. Um, uh, you know, I think Dirty Sprite 2 and um, What a Time to Be Alive just had huge moments. Um, and a lot of the newer trap artists that are out now. Um, so like I said, there's a lot of albums that I didn't list on here. There's no particular order or anything. I just literally sat down and was like, I'm going to keep listening until I can't think of anything anymore without thinking too hard. And so those are all the albums I came up with. And this is a list of about... This is a list of over 20 different albums. So this is at least, I mean, on average, two albums a year. A lot of these stack up in a lot of more recent time because I can just remember more stuff more recently. You know, with everything from uh, Never Story or Control or Lemonade that came out some years ago up to, you know, more recent stuff like the Queen and Slim soundtrack or Lost Boy. Um, but, you know, a lot of stuff in between. Um, it's been a it's been a really dope decade for music, in all honesty, with a lot of really crazy changes from hardcore lyricism and you know, two thousand nine and eight with Kendrick and everybody coming out um, to you know moving on into trap and then you know settling in this melodic meets lyrical place that we're kind of in now and then you know with the emergence of groups like Griselda, uh, I see you know we're coming back around you know to 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 lyricism with you know. YBN Corday and then Wale finally putting out his next most successful album, which was him getting back to, you know, just doing what he does, which is making really well-written songs uh, and, and, you know, not necessarily trying to possibly try a bunch of new stuff, but just you have a bag, bro. You write really well. You make great songs for women and, you know, you're a poet. So get back to lyricism and get back to making songs for ladies. And he did. And this is his, you know, most successful album since you know, his earlier albums, which were just that, which is bars and stuff for women and, uh, and poetry and got back to that. And he's, he's been, you know, he's back on top of the world. So, uh, shout out to all the music that came out in the last decade. Like I said, if you can think of anything that I didn't think of, tag me in that shit. Um, cause I love going down memory lane when it comes to music. Uh, so getting into sports really quickly, try to close it down. Got to open up the sports, got to open up basketball talks with a, a huge shout out and RIP to David Stern. Um, while a lot of people um, were kind of back and forth and uh, uh, kind of, you know, had a very complex relationship with uh, how they felt about David Stern at the end of the day, we would not have the NBA we have today with its far-reaching access, uh, both nationally and internationally, without the changes that David Stern and the, thing, and the, um, the new... Uh, projects and propositions that David Stern put into action within the NBA. And that is all the way, including to a women's league. Like the WNBA was something that David Stern was behind, something that he signed off on, something that he put a lot of energy behind, especially during the lockout 
when you know the Houston Comets were killing it, you know everybody was attending WNBA games because he was putting resources behind the WNBA to make them popular and to make them you know the outlet for basketball, especially while you know men weren't playing. So R.I.P. David Stern. Um, you know we wouldn't. I love what the league is now, and we wouldn't have it if it wasn't without him. So R.I.P. to David Stern. He's he's done some amazing things from you know letting. Uh, Magic Johnson play in the All-Star game when people didn't understand or know what AIDS was and showing them, you know, somebody that they know and loved had it. And that's exactly what this is. It's a disease that can affect anybody. And showing, you know, that he was still a regular person and still letting him play during the game. Um, so, you know, he's he's been the spearhead behind a lot of important things that have gone on in the league, and he will be missed. So RIP to uh, Kamish David Stern. And then uh, getting into some of the games... I'm just going to touch on the Christmas Day games since those happened so recently and are always so sought after and coveted. And just kind of touching on really quickly what they showed me. Um, you know, the main thing it showed me with uh, the Lakers losing to uh, the Clippers is that the Clippers are definitely and have established themselves as the better team in Los Angeles for sure. Um, you know, while they were the Lakers were in the game the whole time, there was at no point in time in watching that game that I, for a second, really truly believed that they were going to close it out. There were times that they went on these runs, especially I think there was one even at the beginning of the fourth when they went on like a run where they were up by, if not double digits, close to double digits in the fourth quarter. And just the poise that the Clippers play with, especially Kawhi, you know, you follow your leader. Um, and he's just, not that LeBron doesn't play with poise, he's just a bit older. And there were certain times, I think there was a, a point in time where I want to say he was driving to the basket on Paul George and literally LeBron just kind of like fell. Like it wasn't wet, he didn't slip, he just kind of lost his footing in trying to maneuver around uh, Paul George. And there were just certain things that, you know, it it showed obviously and, and will continue to show obviously. I'm not one of those people that subscribes to the idea that he's the quote-unquote washed king or any ridiculous shit like that. I really feel like he gave it himself that fucking nickname. So who the fuck called him that? I didn't hear a single person. I didn't see a single hashtag until he started hashtagging that shit. I'm like, where the fuck? Like, nigga, nobody was calling you the washed king. Shut the fuck up. So I just thought it was really interesting that uh, he was putting that everywhere, and I, I'd never heard of it before he said it. Um, so I don't subscribe to the idea that he's like too old to play. The fact that he's still doing what he does at this age is miraculous and very impressive and to me forever commended. Um, but at the same time, I just I don't think the Lakers as a team are better. And, and uh, Charles Barkley was saying something during the halftime of a previous game. I want to say I want to say it was that Bucks game because I've been really watching them very closely playing teams that are you know contenders. Because anytime LeBron's on the team, he's you think they're a contender. So I'm watching him play other teams that are considered contenders in the Bucks. You know, I believe are still have the best record in the league, so I want uh, the best team in the league. Um, and uh, he pointed some. Charles Barkley pointed something out during the halftime of that game, and he said, "If Anthony Davis and LeBron don't play well, they're not going to win. Period." And you know, it's like duh. It might sound like a duh statement, but it, what he was really pointing out, and when he went further into it, was that. Nobody else on that Lakers team can get a bucket for themselves. They have to be set up. Like, with the exception of Anthony Davis, nobody else on that team can go get their own shot. And sometimes, I noticed, this is not necessarily something that Chuck pointed out, but I noticed that 
when LeBron kind of, as we say, kind of sets up his own teams and, you know, has the teams go after these certain players uh, to try to accommodate his style, it's usually shooters, it's usually cutters, and it's usually, you know, good, agile, well-shooting, not always well-shooting, but, you know, they got a touch. Somebody, essentially somebody he can pass the ball to. So he can play his brand of basketball, which is kind of being, you know, the the chess master of the chessboard. You know, he sees things and tries to set up plays for other people. Now he knows he can always go get his, but his thing and the thing that he's known for and he always, you know, points out is that he tries to be the type of player that sets up his teammates. And in doing that, he can get people that only serve that role. He can go after people that only serve that role. You know, Danny Green's a sharpshooter. He's, you know, another version of, say, a Kyle Korver, somebody else who's been on his team before. But Danny Green is not really going to go out there and, like, mix nobody up or really give nobody, you know, a whole bunch of great counters or a good, you know, quick one, two, three, four dribble moves on some Kobe shit or has crazy post-up footwork. Like, he's just a shooter, period. And a lot of the people on his team, like, uh, like uh, Caruso. Caruso's not really finna boogie on nobody. He's athletic, but he's not really setting up his own shot. He's a good cutter. He's a good spot shooter. And uh, and, he, and again, he's athletic. Uh, surprisingly athletic for a middle-aged white man. Um, but there's nobody really on that team, even with Caldwell Pope. He can go get his bucket, but he's not a great shooter. So he can maybe set up his own shot, but will he knock it down? So if you only got three people on the team that can go get their own shot, Kuzma really hasn't found his stride again yet. You traded away your entire young core that could go get their own buckets or could set up other people when you have a maybe not great scoring, but great defensive and great passing point guard in Lonzo Ball, which would allow you to be off ball more often. Um, Even getting Rondo back now, he's also somebody else who sets up other people. Even with adding his new jumper, it's a spot-up jump shot. He's not really getting nobody off no counter or off no dribble. Like, there's not a lot of people on that team that can really set up their own shot, and their bench isn't that deep. So I don't see how when you're pairing up against teams like Philadelphia, like the, like uh, Milwaukee, like um, Boston even, like, uh, uh, who did I say? like the Clippers, like Dallas, like, when you're playing these teams, even Miami or, you know, Portland, I mean, not Portland, um, the Pacers, Indiana, teams that are above 500 are these teams that have teams that have one an identity, two have a lot of people that can go off at any point. Like, if it's not on you right now, you know, if Nikola Jokic can't get it, Jamal Murray can get it. If Jamal Murray can't get it going, then possibly Paul Millsap can get it going. If Paul Millsap can't get it going, then we even have a dude on the bench and Gary Harris who might be able to get it going. And then we also have all these other slot people to fill in their roles. And I feel like when it comes to the team sometimes that LeBron picks for himself to utilize his best skill, they're just a bunch of slot players. And though, you know, I think it's necessary to know your role, if that's the only roles you have around you, and say you have a bad game, or you're tired, or they double you and find a way to slow you down, or Anthony's not having a great game too, and you just have a good game, or Anthony's having a great game, but you don't have a great game, that's not going to be enough to get you over these better teams. That's not going to be enough to beat Houston in a seven-game series. That's not going to be enough to beat the Clippers in a seven-game series. Shit, that's not going to be enough to possibly beat Denver in a seven-game series. If Denver really gets cooking because they play, they can play really good team defense and they have so many people who can contribute, like 
you look at a, a scoreboard, a box score for a Lakers game, and it's Anthony Davis has 30 points. LeBron's got 23 to 30 points. Um, and then the next highest scorer may have 10 buckets. I may have 10 points. And then seven, six, it's, just, it's not very even where you have other teams where you got a solid, you got Houston, you got Russell Westbrook, James Harden, when we get Eric Gordon back, Dennis House Jr., um, and Clint Capella, uh, who can all go get you double-digit points, and then another four or five, and oh, and P.J. Tucker can go get you ten points, and then you got another four or five people who can give you seven, six, five, eight. Like, you have another, you, you have, that's your bench. You have a full roster, and I think sometimes when LeBron is trying to create these teams that benefit his um, his playing style and his strengths, sometimes it's to the disadvantage of the team because if he can't get it going or if the one or two other people on the team that can get it going for themselves don't, they're not going to be able to match up with a team that has you know, two or three playmakers, three people who can score 20 points or more, and a, and a deep bench, and they play defense as a team. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I thought for a second that, you know, I was maybe like, maybe I was wrong. I was seeing the Lakers, you know, kind of take on some teams that I consider to be really good and play really well. And then the more I watch them play other teams that are really, really good, that are going to be teams that if they were trying to really do something late in the season that they would have to you know play well against matchup wise, I, I'm starting to re-get my similar concerns that I had at the beginning of the season. And, um, you know, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And when Chuck said that, I was like, that's it. That's why. So that was really interesting uh, to watch that game. I definitely think, like I said, the Clippers are the team, uh, at least for now, uh, in, in L.A. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity uh, uh, shit talker. Houston shit the bed, you know. Uh, they thought there was going to be a cakewalk. They thought, you know, we're going to easily beat this Golden State team. This is not the Golden State team we've seen for the last couple of years. This is everybody's hurt, steps on the sideline, and the only, you know, player that most people are really going to respect that's out there right now is D'Lo. And so it's really interesting to to see them go out there and be really lackadaisical and kind of get their, their hat handed to them the way they should have. I mean, they played them before already in the season. They beat them. Um, you know, the Rockets did, of course. And then I think they thought they were going to waltz in on Christmas and just not have to try very hard and still get a W. And they got embarrassed. They got beat by double digits by a team that they are definitely 1,000% better than. Like, now you got memes floating around talking about, you know, even without Stephen Clay and KD, the Rocket, they, the Warriors still own the Rockets, which I think is hilarious because the motherfuckers aren't even going to make the fucking playoffs. So suck my whole dick. But uh, besides that, it is kind of sad to see that y'all weren't able to figure out a way to beat such a broken Warriors team. Um, but either way, that I've seen them rise to the occasion against so many great teams. Speaking of the Lakers and the Rockets, I am going to go watch them play. Never seen Russell Westbrook, Westbrook play live, and this will be my first time getting to see LeBron James play live. Cannot wait to go watch that game on in uh, in Houston on January 18th. Really, really excited about that shit. So definitely uh, was inspired to go to that game um, after watching the last Clippers-Houston uh, matchup. And that shit was so dope. I was just like, I've got to go watch them play another uh, high-caliber team. Got to go see some basketball before the season is over. Didn't get to see any last year. I am super excited to see LeBron James play in person. And I'm super excited to see the Beard and the Brody. So really, really hype about that. Uh, Going to get out there and, and you know, uh, 
be screaming a whole bunch of Nipsey Hustle lyrics at them niggas and and, and uh, have a good time. I always have a good time in Houston because it gives me an opportunity to see family as well as go check out a game. So really, really excited about going to that Houston uh, Houston Rockets and Lakers game. Um, and then uh, my my other team, the Celtics, uh, did take a W on Christmas Day. Um, they uh, took down a. Um, Toronto Raptors team who, despite not having Kawhi Leonard this season, are still above 500, are still playing very well. And and let's see if, because I know they were playing today, let's see if they were able to pull off a win versus Miami. Because I was watching that game and then I started recording. And it looks like, wow, that was a really low-scoring game. Miami wound up beating Toronto 84-76. I do know that they were having a really, both teams, we're having really, really tough times uh, scoring today. There's not even, I mean, they were both playing really good defense, but it was more so that just they weren't hitting. Uh, so that's really interesting to see. Uh, wow, the 84-76 game. I don't know if I've seen a game that scored that low since the Detroit Pistons of like 05 when they held San Antonio to like under 100 points for every playoff game so or, or every um, finals game. So that's a really low-scoring NBA game, but interesting. Um, but yeah, the Toronto Raptors are really good. They've been playing phenomenally. They're they're twenty-three and twelve right now, so well above uh, five hundred, despite not having uh, Kawhi Leonard anymore, and I think even despite uh, Kyle Lowry being out for quite a few games. And right now they're missing Mark Gasol and Pascal Siakam, I believe. So two very key players to their team to their uh, to their team. And they've been out for a while now, and they've still been playing really, really well. So uh, shout-out to the Raptors for finding uh, ways, shout-out to their coach, um, uh, for finding ways to maneuver around their uh, their lack of players right now. Um, but the Celtics got up there, and they boogied. Uh, everybody saw the the uh, the double cross <laughs> that uh, Jalen Brown um, uh, put on. Uh, he had a great game, and I believe he is in the voting for All-Star, which came out the, this uh I want to say today, not this, not just this week, today. Yeah, it came out today, um, and he had a great game. And then Jason Tatum had a great game, got him a got him a monster jam in there, and uh, went away with the W on Christmas. So shout out to the Celtics. I really feel like the more I watch them play together, um, with the addition of Kimba, and the ability of both Kimba, Jalen, and Jason to all have good games simultaneously, and even Gordon Hayward as well. That's what we were missing when when Kyrie was there. Kyrie would get out there and he could have a great game, but the people around him would not necessarily get to have a great game. Um, and I still have a very very strong belief that Kyrie's not a point guard. He's a two. He has no interest in getting assists. He has no interest in intentionally making plays for other people. Um, and more so even though than you know somebody like say a Russell Westbrook who I think can be very intentional with his playmaking though I think he can take really ill-advised shots and especially when he was with OKC get into a rhythm where he just starts just feeling like he has to win it himself he still is very intentional about his playmaking for other players and I have never seen that be something that I believed was a priority for Kyrie um, when he was you know with Cleveland which was my favorite years of his or even when he was with Boston which i was so excited for because I love Kyrie Irving as a player and it just it soured me on him you know to be honest because of just how terribly he handled his leadership role when he was there and you know it's come out now that he was going through family stuff and I understand that but you know at the end of the day it's just it it 
yeah, I mean, that's my team. I, I, yeah, it soured me on him. I just, I'm just like, he needs to go somewhere and all he needs to be about is getting buckets. He doesn't necessarily need to be the, in my opinion, leader on the team. So, um, yeah, I think Kimba's been an amazing fit. Uh, and I think you can just tell with everybody on the team, including the coach, including the players, just overall kind of what seems to be their sense of unity. And it seems to be working to their benefit because they are having a great season this year and are in much better position than they were last year with Kyrie at the helm. Um, and, you know, even if you look at the year before when Kyrie was on the team but he was hurt all year, they just – I don't I can't say that they're worse with him on the court because he's so good, but he just honestly seemed to be not necessarily his personality, which is what I think the media tries to portray it as. I don't think it's his personality. I just think his style of play was cancerous for the team. For a team that was so into being a group and being a unit and us leaning on each other as a whole and that being how we've been so successful. And then, you know, you have somebody come in who's like me, 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 me as far as I'm the closer, I'm the vet, I'm the guy with the ring. Listen to what I do, Young Bucks. Watch what I do, Young Bucks. And then, you know, meanwhile, while he's doing all that, he's not even playing his best basketball. So it's kind of like I said, being cancerous to a team that was very united and very successful before he got on the court with them. So um, shout out to Kimba, shout out to, you know, the uh, the new face and the new um, uh, vibe of the, uh, the the Boston Celtics. And uh, shout out to them, and I'm really excited to see, you know, further in the season um, what difference Kimba's presence really makes there when we get to the nitty-gritty, which is the playoffs and the playoff race uh, after the All-Star break. So... Really excited to see what happens there. Uh, and then lastly, the uh, the Sixers played um, Milwaukee. And, I mean, when it comes to big men, I keep telling people that Joel Embiid's that guy. I mean, I've got a friend who's a Lakers fan, so he's, you know, I'm not trying to hear nothing but Anthony Davis. Um, a lot of people, most of the league doesn't, most anybody doesn't want to hear anything that's against Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I completely understand why he is quite literally the Greek freak. And if he keeps working on that jumper, I mean, I mean, the sky's the limit. I mean, my God. But when it comes to just right now, right now skill set, right now both ends of the court, right now dominance, when it comes to big men, Joel Embiid is the best. Joel Embiid plays the best defense consistently. He plays the best offense consistently. He's got, to me, the most consistent numbers as far as percentages. And when he chooses to be physical as well as shoot that, that smooth, silky jumper, I really don't think I can think of a single big you know, with all the top tier bigs, you know, even Nikola Jokic when he's playing really, you know, on par for his game and the way he played last year, I just don't, I can't think of anybody who's fucking with Joel Embiid on the defensive or offensive end when he's playing at his best and he's playing consistently. He is the best center in the NBA, and that is just my opinion. And he showed that with his dominance against Giannis. He's shown that with his dominance with AD. And he's shown that with his dominance with Nikola. And I just genuinely believe he is the best five at that position in in the league right now. And if, you know, I feel like everybody else around him could be as consistent as he is, including Ben Simmons, they would be the best team in the East and top three team in the league. But, you know, that's, that's a big if. He's got to be more consistent, and then everybody around him has to at least be as consistent as he is being right now. And I think he can play better. I think he can play more consistent. If they could, if I think he's right now at like eighty-eight percent 
and everybody around him is at like 75, with the exception of maybe a few other players. Like, everybody else is at 75. Ben and Al Horford, even Al has just hasn't been playing great right now. His shot hasn't been falling the way it usually does. But even them, they're at 80%. He's at 88. I think he can consistently play at a 95%. And if he did, I genuinely don't think anybody, even Giannis, could fuck with him. So I still think Joel Embiid is the best center in the league. That's just my personal opinion. I mean, his antics sometimes uh, can get on my nerves, and he's seemed to quiet those down a whole lot as far as, you know, his tweeting and stuff like that, especially since he got in that fight with Cat at the beginning of the season. But when it comes to just on-court shit, I don't think anybody's better than him in his position right now. Uh, I think other than that, I'll probably close it out there. I just want to give a nod to Miami and Indiana for holding on to uh, what seems to be winning formulas. They both have really good coaches and good young teams. And even without key players like Victor Oladipo and, um, you know, with a lot of new players on Miami and a lot of young players on Miami, they have found ways to hold on to their winning formulas to continue to have really, really great um, uh, over 500 records. I mean, Miami right now is 25 and nine and Indiana's 22 and 13. So, I mean, they're both playing really, really well, really better than expected. And then they both had really hot starts the same way that Minnesota had a hot start. Um, Phoenix had a very hot start, but both of those teams to seem to have fizzled out when it comes to their consistency of whatever they found at the beginning of the year, um, you know, maintaining, uh, it could be due to injuries. It could be due to fatigue. We'll see what happens after the All-Star break. But uh, right now, those are two teams that were not in the conversation last year that with the trades and with the things they've acquired, Bogdanovich for Indiana, Jimmy Butler for Miami, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, Porter Jr. had his best game of his career with 25 points on 11 for 12 shooting tonight in a, um, a loss to Denver. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're playing really, really well right now. They seem to be in it for the long haul, whereas, you know, other teams who had a really hot start fizzled, and whereas other teams like um, the Jazz, who we expected to have a much stronger start, have fizzled. So, you know, we will see, man. We will see. It has been a, a, a interesting season so far, especially with all the moves that happened over the summer and uh, free, free agency and, uh, you know, during trades. So it's been really interesting um, to see how the season has played out with, you know, the demise of the Golden State Warriors as that super team with so many players from that we love to watch, from Clay to KD to Kyrie all being hurt. Um, and, you know, a lot of other teams having a lot of really serious injuries that they're dealing with. The season has looked kind of wonky to me as far as just, like, just a lot of faces missing. <laughs> you know, you... you stay up to watch that aren't playing now and a lot of people in New Jersey's that are you're still kind of getting used to um, I'm still seeing people pop up and be like damn I f- fucking forgot that he was on that team um, so it's really interesting you know with, with San Antonio playing so abysmally it's just it's been a weird season for um, a lot of different teams so it's really really interesting to uh, to see how these are going to play out the all-star uh, voting came out funnily enough uh, Alice Caruso and uh, Taco from uh, from Boston are both in the top 10 of voting uh, in the fans voting so that's pretty funny a lot of people are you know kind of making jokes like okay so you guys really wanted uh, fan voting and now it looks like uh, the fans have spoken and uh, uh, 
sorry, I just read something I've been waiting to read all fucking week. I'll share that as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting to see, um, how the hell the season pans out. So I do want to run through the all-star, uh, all-star selections or not selections, but you know how they do it now, the backcourt and front court of, uh, of the East and the West that are available for the all-star voting. And I literally was just looking at it. And for some reason now the shit is like evading me and I can't find it. Okay, here we go. So, uh, for the front court and the, uh, West, these are the people we can pick from and, uh, leading in this order. Uh, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns, Kristaps Porzingis, Nikola Jokic, Carmelo Anthony, Brandon Ingram, and Dwight Howard are leading um, the top 10 vote getters for the West. And then for the guards, for the backcourt, we have Luka Doncic, James Harden, Damian Lillard. Love to see him in the top three. Dame got looked over for the All-Star way too many fucking times. If you know anything about basketball historically or know about Dame, you know that the two years that he did not make the All-Star game, the first game out of the All-Star break, I believe one game he dropped like 40 and the other game he dropped 50. So he was just he was definitely making a statement that stop overlooking me. Um, I think that actually has a lot to do and a lot of things that he said um, surrounding those two All-Star um, non-select, non-selections. A lot of things he said people thought were directed at Russell Westbrook. I think that's what kind of started the feud between him and Russell Westbrook. I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but Russell kind of had some stuff to chirp back about people crying to get all-star votes. And then Dame kind of said something back about ain't nothing crying is deserved. So they kind of were chirping back and forth each other around that time. And I think that has a lot to do with why they kind of have a respect for each other because neither one of them backed down very different, but neither one of them backed down. And I think that's why now they kind of have like a little rivalry. So it's interesting. Definitely right now, Dame is, is up on that rivalry. If it was a rap battle, is he's won more verses than, uh, than Russ for sure. Love Russ. But yeah, Dame, Dame, Dame broke up that whole OKC organization as we know it. <laughs> like that one shot and OKC is never going to look the same again. Um, but yeah, so Luka Doncic, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, uh, which he should be back by then. Russell Westbrook, D'Angelo Russell, Donovan Mitchell, Alex Caruso, <laughs> Devin Booker, and John Morant are the top uh, vote getters for the guards in the West. Now, the East, we have front court Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, jo- uh, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Taco Fall, Bam Adebayo, Gordon Hayward, Andre Drummond, and Ma- DeMontis Sabonis. And then for the um, guards, we have Trey Young. Really hope he gets uh, healthy fast enough. I know he had that ankle injury recently. Kyrie Irving, which doesn't make any fucking sense because I don't believe he'll be playing by that time. And he out for the whole fucking season? Oh, my God. <laughs> Kimball Walker, Derrick Rose, love to see it. Zach Levine, Ben Simmons, <laughs> Jalen Brown, uh, Kyle Lowry, who definitely deserves to be in there. I think he deserves the way he's been playing this season and how he's been carrying that team with all the injuries they have. And they still have that great record I just mentioned. He should be above Ben Simmons, uh, Bradley Beal, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie should be above Kyrie because I don't even think Kyrie's going to get to fucking play. And Spencer Dinwiddie has been balling out. Like I said in the last podcast, somebody is about to get that man a big old bag of money because after he's been playing the way he's playing, ain't no way he is going to sit on nobody's bench when Kyrie and KD get back, and ain't no way any other team should be stupid enough to let him be sitting on that bench. He needs to be starting for somebody, and he needs to be getting a 
bag. And I believe that is in the horizon or on the horizon for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is a big old bag. So um, those are the all-star voting that are up right now. And yeah, I was right there. That literally just went live today. Um, That's hilarious that both Taco Fall, who has played in about, I think, like 10 games this season, and Alex Caruso, who are both fan favorites, are so high up in the voting. Um, I think that's interesting. I mean, that hey, fuck it. Everything's different now with the All-Stars, the way they pick it, the way they do the team captains now. Uh, yeah, let the fans vote, and every now and then there should be some fan favorites that make it in there as well. Shit, I mean, it doesn't matter why they like you. If they like you, they want to see you on screen. If they want to see you on screen, that means they'll watch. If they watch, that means ratings go up. That's all they give a fuck about anyway. So <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not like it's a game that counts for anything. It's not like these motherfuckers start playing super hard until the fourth quarter anyway. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all in fun. So if it's supposed to be fun, that's kind of a fun element of it is to have some fan favorites in, included. So I don't I don't dislike the idea of continuing to have fan voting. I think it's pretty cool. Because, um, you know, if, if you remember back when the players and coaches, I think they still vote, but when it was just based on their votes, they would put some stupid votes in there too. They would put players' names on there just being funny and being silly that weren't even active or players that weren't on a team but were still active NBA employees. And it's just like... They, they can be just as silly as the fans can be. So what's the fucking difference? At the end of the day, the fans are really who matter. So we might as well make sure that the silliness is something that satiates them more so than the players. So I'm still all for fans voting. Um, but yeah. And then last and finally, just wanted to say um, I am doing a uh, release uh, at Stacks Vintage Wear, which is a uh, store on uh, Guadalupe and MLK. Um, uh, close to the TCBY if you're an Austin native and you know where that yogurt shop is. Um, but yeah, it's close to the TCBY and close to the Pizza Hut. Um, but I'll be posting about it on my Instagram and on the Creative Ass Adults Instagram. We are doing a release of some pins, some buttons, um, as well as uh, selling some more of the shirts that we have left over, uh, doing a pop-up at that Stacks Vintage. It's going to be on January 5th. Going to have some free drinks going to have uh, the homie DJ and uh, going to have a pop-up with, like I said, the rest of the shirts and those pins dropping. Um, definitely uh, hit me up if you want to do a pre-order. Uh, I'll be releasing this information on my Instagram on Friday. But if you hear it here and you want to reach out and holler about a pin or a shirt before we uh, have the pop-up, or if you want any information about the pop-up, hit me up um, on Zay's Writer at Z-A-I-S-W-R-I-T-E-R underscore or at Creative... Uh, as adults, C R E eight eight T I V E underscore as underscore adults, and uh, hit me up, and we can um, you know meet up, or I can get you a pre order where you can come pick it up at the pop up. Um, whether you want to do a shirt or the pins or both, um, prices and everything will go up on my Instagram. Like I said, this Friday. So appreciate you guys for hanging out, checking out another podcast. Um, you know, first one of the new year. Uh, you know, we're gonna keep pushing, like I said, and uh, keep trying to. To make all those creative aspirations happen. It's another year, another year to put in some work, another year to be grateful that we made it, and another year to uh to network and share and build. I appreciate you guys checking it out. Uh, uh you know, live long and prosper. <laughs> um, again, this has been another episode of the Creative Ass Podcast. Appreciate y'all. Peace.